We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the Bee Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. We've pared our menu down so much because it has to work in so many situations. Now we're going to become experts at what we do. And because of that, our practice is going to improve. Our confidence as educators is going to improve. And our students are going to be better served because they're, they're getting the best of what we have to offer instead of trying something new all the time. Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Andy Simpson is a former educator and current community manager for Swivel. He lives in the Fort Worth, Texas area with his wife and four children. Andy was a social studies teacher and coach from 1999 until 2014, when he became a technology coach and district administrator. Andy recently started a new career at Swivel, where he connects with educators and like-minded individuals as part of transforming the educational community. I'm pretty excited about talking to Andy today. I reached out to him and uh, had only met him recently when I hopped on a Zoom to talk about Swivel. And that's that's a neat product with some really, I think, amazing possibilities. So Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Chris, how are you today? I'm awesome. I'm, I'm better now that I've got you here and I get to talk to you a little bit about some tech and, and how it can better support, engage, and empower teachers and what they do every day. Oh man, that's a lot to live up to. I'll do my best. <laughs> I'm sure you'll do fine. So now I mentioned Swivel in your uh, opening there. Could you tell us a little bit about Swivel? I mean, you left the educational field, so to speak, um, because it's still education, what you're dealing with, but, um, and went to Swivel. So, so what is Swivel? Well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do often in this, uh, in this time with you is I'm going to, I'm going to uh, digress a bit to get to where I want to be. That's so, fine. <laughs> so I started working in ed tech in 2014 at, at a school, the school district in Fort Worth, which is a large district. And we had swivels. Uh, I was given a swivel right away to help with my um, coaching in the classroom I started working with Recap, just kind of playing around with it, which was a tool to get feedback and brought in media and things like that. And then I think it was 2017, Recap was shut down and I just happened to give like a postmortem tweet about it. And Brian Lamb, the founder, one of the founders of Swivel, uh, reached out to me on Twitter and thanked me for my kind words about it. And that's kind of where my relationship with the company Swivel and not just the product started. And then I, my, one of my, my closest coworkers, Sarah Candela, who you also know, uh, she, uh, I, I said something about Swivel on Twitter um, another year later, Sarah responded to me. And then she asked me to be on her podcast. I was on Sarah's podcast. 
with her for a while. And we had a friendship that's, I think we're going on three years now in our friendship. And last summer, fall, she asked me to, to come and join the team. Um, and I decided to forego my, a- after a lot of talk with my wife and with Sarah, I decided to give it a shot, forego my, my time in education, go to work with Swivel. So that's my background with Swivel. So what Swivel's up to now, we have some existing products. We have, we have something called, um, we have something called teams that pairs with our robot that those of you out there, if you're familiar with Swivel at all, are probably familiar with our, our robot that, um, it's not, it's not like the one on Rocky three with the, where it walks (laughs) around and serves you drinks. It doesn't sing to us. No, it's, (laughs) it's no jets and stuff. It, when it's a robot, as in you put, you place a tablet on there and it's able to, um, using a marker that you carry with you and a microphone, it's able to track you around the room and just follow you as you teach or coach, um, or a student as they present. And it's a, that wrote the video that you gather from that robot can go into our team's platform or some other platform for coaches and administrators, teachers to review what happened in the classroom and get a sense of what they can do to, you know, what's good about their practice, what they can improve on that sort of thing, just to true video coaching. And then we've developed out from there and our core products into something called synth that is for lack of, my description of it is like a podcast discussion forum. Um, that's not giving it, that's not describing it all, but it's part podcast and part audio discussion board. Super exciting tool. Um, we're still always trying to figure out, I mean, because it's new ways to use these things. And then we have another tool called, called Skilled Space where we feel pretty fat, passionate about, about audio. And there's a group of people out there who want audio that isn't something that has to live on the internet forever. It can be a, just a discussion place. And that's what skilled space is more of a place that you can meet with people in a safe environment, like your students or colleagues have a discussion and that discussion goes away. It's to use to use a term that's popular right now. It's a, it's an NFT. It's a non-fungible. It's, it's not recreated. It just disappears when the conversation's over and to us, that makes it a safe place to discuss. It lowers the stakes because it's not something that's recorded. It's not something you screenshot. You just talk and then it's over. Um, and so, again, it, we're always looking for ways to use those. And we are building um, we're building other tools, which I know you are learning a little bit about. We're about to start beta testing some tool, a new tool right now. We're super excited about that we believe will take us beyond beyond just the engagement piece in education that will take us into a place where we are a place where students can not just do something that's engaging and then walk away, but can get into a flow of their work and tap into their intrinsic motivation and not just depend on something that comes from the teacher necessarily or from the material, but they work on something they're passionate about if we bring in mindfulness and there's a lot going on there with it, but I like the idea of we are trying to create space for students to work and get involved in their work and get more engrossed in it as opposed to just jumping in, getting super engaged and then falling back out of it. So I hope I gave a good, I hope I riffed on that well enough. I don't know if I did, but um, like I said, when kind of when you're on the frontier or something, you don't, you can't always describe what it is. You kind of just have to fumble around a bit. I just hope the excitement comes across because that's the main thing. The excitement definitely does come across. And as far as did you riff all right on it, um, I've got about 12 questions. So, but all right. Well, <laughs> I've got time for 11. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I, um, so you talk about, you know, swivel is super engaging, right? Obviously from the different things you have and you have different, different parts of it, like synth and skilled space that offer safety a lot of audio. And now I use audio to go through and do informal walkthroughs with my teachers. I use Voxer. Mm -hmm. So I can really, you know, I think about some of these things and how they might even be a game changer that way, whether they save or don't save the audio recording, but audio, you know, especially with students, well, with, with anybody, but especially with students, audio is so important because anybody that is self-conscious. So everybody um, to a degree 
they dissect texts, they dissect emails. And now even more so the idea for leaders to be able to utilize a tool that's engaging, that makes teachers feel safe, right? Because as soon as a leader writes something down, a teacher has to dissect it because they're worried that it's like an evaluative thing. Mm -hmm. So let's back it out a little bit and talk to me about how these types of tools could be used by leaders to better connect, better engage their teachers along the way. Sure. I think, you know, I hit on it before, but the thing that, that to me, we can interact with our, you know, I was, I was a district administrator, but not, uh, not, I didn't do anything evaluative or anything like that. But my viewpoint on it is that we can, as time permits, obviously interact with our teachers when it's not evaluative. Also, we can interact with them. It's very important that we, that we're interacting and not just interacting like in the hallway, but go visit classrooms when we're not evaluating, make it to me, make it normalized to, to see, you know, for teachers to watch other teachers, for admin to watch teachers. And, and for me, something like that, you know, like I was saying about skilled space where it's a conversation that you have and then it's not screenshotted, it's not recorded, it just goes away. And that makes it feel like a safe space. To me, that's, you know, I have a lot of conversations that happened in my past. I have, I have some good examples of, of uh, administrators and I have some very bad ones, um, some very bad experiences. And I'm actually thankful that the good and the bad ones, I'm glad that a lot of those just disappeared you know, in the office walls there, because the good ones I hang on to, you know, I may have better memories of that than, than actually happened, but I have the things that shaped me that I hang on to there and I don't have them recorded on them written down. They just, they were powerful enough. They went into, into my being and the same way with the bad ones, they, all the details disappeared, but the things that really stuck with me um, became a part of me. And I think it's really important that those things weren't written down. Those things weren't recorded. Those things were things that we said to one another, and then they just kind of went away. So I think about, you know, I think about our tools where, you know, skilled space in particular, where that's a place where you can go and you can have a frank conversation. And especially if you have, to me, if you have kind of a, an adversarial or just an uncomfortable relationship with a teacher, maybe that's a good place to let's just meet here you don't have to look me in the eye. I don't have to look you in the eye. I mean, I had, I'm going to tell a really bad story about myself here, but I had a shouting match with a principal of mine one time and not my finest moment, but I also felt, I think he and I both felt we were backed into a corner and it, and it went kind of toxic. And, and I wish the hardest part obviously was seeing each other tense up and get upset. And had we been able to meet in a different way and not, look at each other, I think that would have diffused a lot of that tension and let us be in a more productive place. So um, I think that's a good thing. I think that, uh, I think, you know, it's pretty obvious to me the way that our Teams tool, you know, the fact that you can record your teachers, but then those recordings allow for, you know, there's timestamps and there are timestamp comments and things like that to where there can be a back and forth again, where it's, it allows space to think it allows space to watch it allow just to me, space is a big thing. It allows a lot of space. Whereas if you're reviewing, I used to be a basketball coach. I don't know if I've said that yet, but watching film with your players is intimidating for them because I've watched it two or three times and then we watch it and they haven't seen it yet. And now I have them on the spot and, you know, looking back, that was a real power move, but all coaches, I mean, it's something that all coaches do. You just, you review it and then they have to think in the moment and they're put on the spot and it's very uncomfortable. Like as a former player, it was hard to respond to. I, I don't know why I did that. I just, I'm just seeing that for the first time. Whereas the coach has seen it several times and he could say, well, I saw this person do this, this, do this. And, and you made this move and it's a bad idea. And you just, and so as a teacher, it's kind of the same thing. Like you feel like the admin is just, they have all the upper hand on you sometimes. And so the fact that you can have a tool like this where you both have space to watch it, think through, take a breath, and maybe gain a little context and a little bit of empathy for one another, 
I think that's where these tools are very valuable is, is, is that fact that they provide the space, the distance, and the chance to think and gain a little empathy for one another. What a great explanation of how they can be useful. You know, you talk about, and it's funny because, and not funny, haha, but a little ironic because what you talk about is almost, it's almost counterintuitive because when we're, when we're discussing things, right, we're told to watch body language and body language tells us so much about what a person's feeling and helps us direct the conversation or move how we're conversing based on how the person's feeling. But what, what often isn't recognized is sure. I can be sitting across the table from you. I can see that you're getting tense. I can try and change what I'm doing, but what if, like, what if you didn't even have to get nervous like that in the first place? Mm. Like you can hear my voice, but you're not looking at me. And if it's just that barrier, what a powerful way to begin to rebuild a relationship that's gone negative. Mm -hmm. So that those first few meetings where it's negative, because I mean, you know, newsflash and anybody listening to this knows this, (laughs) or if they're willing to admit it, administrators get upset too, where they're, they're mad and they're tense and they, you know, they don't want to deal with certain teachers and things like that. So it's just such an, an easy first step in. We talk about entry points and we talk about bringing people to, to certain events, certain practices, things like that at different entry points. So they're ready to do that. And this tool, the way you just described it, sounds like such a good way to offer an alternative entry point for teachers. That's a lower bar to cross. Right. Yeah, that's I think that's a great thing. It lowers the stakes, you know, lower bar to cross, lowers the stakes. And we all high stakes are important sometimes, but it's also very important to have lower stakes, too. It's it's important to have a good balance of those two things. No, absolutely. And so. You were a teacher, you were a district administrator, always in the tech, and you described a little bit in the beginning about how, you know, you met you met Sarah and you kind of got pulled over, which I have to, you know, the, just the idea, that's a whole shout out right there to the power of social media and the power of connecting mm-hmm. and where that leads to where it's led to a different career for you. So you were in the education realm, you still kind of are. But you've moved to this realm that that serves education. What are you passionate about? What's what's your passion that that drives you to be in this area? <laughs> well, this is going to sound like a, a no brainer, probably anybody listening. But I'm very passionate about technology integration. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Uh, so yeah, I uh, I was a teacher for 14 years, or sorry, 15 years, and then the last seven plus of my of my education career was in our ed tech department um, as a technology coach, and and I'd got I'd also gotten a master's in tech integration um, prior to that, and and what a to me, you know, there there's two concerns I have with you know, I think I'll start with the concerns and go to what really makes me passionate. But I think the concerns are something that's pretty universal and that's an over-reliance on technology. I feel like um, a lot of times we we choose a $100 solution when a $1 solution would do. And we, because we, we've invested this, we, we bought this tech, we have to use it. And if that's your sole reason for technology integration, you should never purchase it in the beginning. You really need to have a purpose to begin with. And so as a teacher, I feel like it's, you should be free to not have to live by purchases. If, if you didn't make the purchase, then you shouldn't be forced to do something just because it was purchased. That's not always realistic. Sometimes you have to feed the machine. And and I get that. So I don't want anyone out there feeling like I understand also, I have empathy for a lot of different levels there. And so I know when you just need to do it to, to play the game and sometimes playing the game helps you win, win the battle or the war overall. So I get that. Um, But I think it is important that we do the best we can to not develop an over-reliance on technology at the expense of our instruction and our students and our teachers as well. And then I think my other concern, and it's a concern for a lot of people, is just the growing privacy concerns. 
you know, I work for an ed tech company now and we do everything that we can within the law to protect, to protect data, to not gather data. You know, we do everything we can. And I think everybody has a general, I don't think there are a lot of actual bad actors out there. I think there's, I think there's a lot of um, just not, not, there's a lot of unintended consequences from both educational institutions, schools, and the ed tech companies alike that we don't, a lot of times we all don't realize what we're doing, the data thing, the data concerns that we're opening up when we, when we work together sometimes. So I don't, again, I don't think there's a lot of bad actors out there, but I think that those concerns are real. In my previous role toward the end, I did less coaching and more working with the textbook systems in the district and with student data privacy. And so I've seen what it looks like to have to try to write those out and you create a very square hole and ask an ed tech company who's trying to partner with you how to fit in that very square hole. <laughs> and it's, and it makes it almost impossible for both of you sometimes, but you're doing that because you're trying to protect students and they're trying to get their tool to you because they believe it can help your students. And so everybody is just trying to, do their dead level best to make this thing work and to improve education. And we just have these barriers that we, we can't fix. We just have to continue to fix. We have to, we have to grow together um, in order to survive and in order to grow education. So those are my concerns up front. Now, why am I passionate about it? Because I believe, I believe that it, it opens up opportunities for your um, traditional students. It opens up, Traditional, that's a terrible word for that. It opens up opportunities in your general ed population. It opens up a lot of possibilities for your SPED population. The pandemic would, I just don't know what pandemic education would have looked like without, without technology and without technology coaching and without administrators and without the, obviously without the teachers and students who stretched more than anyone. But I just technology is enabling as a tool and you know again it's a tool and it's it is it's so enabling for our students because i i uh, worked with some students at at one of the high schools that i oversaw and i know one girl in particular she could not have she could barely communicate using her hands so everything was voice well technology enabled her voice to be a way to write her own papers and not have to dictate to another person. And it empowered her because then she could do that by herself and not need someone else sitting right there with her to write down the things that she was saying, because otherwise she wouldn't been able to write papers. Um, And it gave a chance for her to give voice feedback on things as opposed to having to write things down. So it's empowering to those students. It's empowering to students who, who are in your general ed population. But I know you and I talked off air a little bit about someone who's, who's, a, who's afraid to, maybe not afraid, but who opens up better when they're, when they're not in person with someone else. And so that technology can allow someone to say something into a microphone or a camera that they would never feel comfortable saying in the classroom. And you get to hear that student's learning, their thoughts, their process. You get to see them open up as a student, whereas you might not in a traditional classroom. And uh, even I remember the guy who graduated, a guy who I went to a very small high school and the valedictorian from the class right behind me, he walked around all day long like class to class with a Walkman and he was listening to tapes on um, SAT prep the whole time, just trying to, trying to drill himself. And he got himself a, a full ride for four years into an electrical engineering program at Texas tech. So for him tech, you know, for that very high performing student technology empowered him to go to school for free, get an electrical engineering degree. So I mean, that it, it aided in that, I should say. It didn't allow it, but it aided in his ability to do so. So technology, low and high tech, can 
are empowering to all of our students and to our teachers as well. Um, and I, you know, my last, my last thing I'll throw in there is, you know, I think that technology should, should re- our practices with technology should when appropriate. And I think that's a big word around technology too, that I kind of already covered is appropriate, but when it's appropriate, they should reflect the world around us. So, you know, we do things in school sometimes that are no longer applicable to the real world. Like I hate to say, this probably irk a lot of people, but I don't know why we need to do more than very basic math calculations anymore because calculators and the internet make those sorts of things ubiquitous. I don't know why in the world we need to know. I mean, I know for the sake of knowledge, preserving knowledge, practicing that mental, those mental muscles, but again, there's a point where it's no longer appropriate to teach a lot of those things because they can be done for us and we can devote our mental energy to something else. We can devote our mental energy to higher level thinking besides simple computation. So I know that may not always be the most popular, most popular idea, but I really think that our practices should reflect the world around us. And I haven't used, I haven't done any sort of equations except to help my son in algebra since I graduated from high school. So I, I, that's my, uh, I guess that's my hot take there. <laughs> that's, that's good. So, and just so I want to make sure I hear what you're saying, because it, you have what I would consider, uh, you know, in my, in my narrow experience with a lot of tech integrator folks, it's almost like you're saying tech is a phenomenal tool. Um, you're passionate about the opportunity that it, that it provides for all students and varying levels according to students, but we really kind of need to slow down to go fast. Like, let's not get crazy with the bells and whistles. Let's make sure that the, the tech we're using matches the need that we have. Right. And, and I, I really liked your example of the $100 solution for the $1 problem. Mm-hmm. But um, do, do I have that right? That's what you're saying? Oh, yeah, definitely. There's no need for me to get my power drill out when I'm just putting a simple screw in. I can usually do that with just a screwdriver. So yeah, um, <laughs> Ikea warns me always, do not use a drill. Just, yeah. <laughs> just use a screwdriver. And there's Even, a reason for that because the screwdriver is appropriate. The drill is not. So <laughs> yeah. Perfect example. I like that example even better. So look, you know, you, you talked about the whole idea of empowerment as well and how technology has the ability to engage and empower. And you talked about that with students. I'd love to talk about it with teachers and what that looks like in a school setting. But before we hit that, I just want to take a quick break to hear from some of our sponsors. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Better Leaders, Better Schools Mastermind. The Mastermind is built on the ABCs of powerful professional development, authenticity, belonging, and challenge. With all three components, leaders experience transformation in their personal and professional lives. Personally, I've been a member of the Mastermind for years, and it's transformed my leadership by teaching me how to challenge the status quo and honor my personal vision for what leadership should be. Join me and other leaders from around the world in the Mastermind. You can apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. I use Anchor to distribute the Seeing to Lead podcast because I find it to be the best tool to suit my busy schedule. Anchor has everything I need all in one place, offers hands-free distribution to everywhere podcasts are heard, and is free to use. I can use anywhere from some to all of its features based on what I need at the time. On top of all that, you can be mobile, recording, editing, and distributing all right from your phone. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. All right, and we're back with Andy Simpson. And, you know, we were just talking about the idea of almost like the bright, shiny syndrome as we wrapped it up when we were talking about what Andy's passionate about. And the whole idea of, um, you know, your passion being around the opportunity that tech presents, but your concern being an over-reliance and with that, you know, data breaches and things like that. But you did you did mention the idea of, boy, we don't know where we would have been during just these re- the past two years, one and a half, two years, without our ability to pivot to tech and things like that. So in your opinion, moving forward, right, because now we're at this, we're at this crossroads almost of, of going backwards, moving forwards, or staying the same. 
What do you think school should look like for teachers and students? I think, you know, and I think a lot of these ideas had come about not outside of technology proper, but there, there are so many thought leaders and, and companies out there that are pushing for things like, you know, flexible seating. I don't know if you have any of that in, in your school, but I know that that's, that's something that I saw as I was starting to leave education was more and more um, flexible seating. And I think that that's an important idea and indicative of where people are as people are trying to trying to rethink how things can look, how things should look. I just saw a teacher from Tennessee today that I know from Twitter, and she was talking about how her students, when they're doing individual work, they can choose to, and she took a whole video of her classroom, they can choose to work either in groups by themselves, but in groups, just kind of basically where they want to sit or off by themselves. And she had bar seating in her room and she had like beanbag type seats and then she had traditional desks and tables and I know that that's not that's not possible for everyone but I think that I think there's an idea there obviously of it's not her seating that's important it's her attitude it's her attitude that is the job getting done or not I had this I had this student who uh he was my point guard in basketball but he was my a thorn in my side in my economics class as well. Love him dearly, but he was he was a real pain. And he would bring a sam he would bring sandwiches to my class every day. And if he could get his work done, I didn't mind if he ate his sandwiches. If he if they distracted him or anybody else, then no, you can't have your sandwich today. And probably poor practice on my part somewhere somewhere in there. But the goal, the idea for me was is the work getting done or not? Um, and and I know that it should be probably more than the work, but I think is, if we reduce it down, is the student being educated or not? And if they are being educated and others are being educated, does it matter if they sit side by side and do their individual work? Or does it matter if they sit on, you know, I have like a tractor seat that my grandpa welded whenever from like a, from an antique tractor that's in my house. That would probably be in my classroom if I still had one today. So does it matter if they sit on the tractor seat or the beanbag or the, or lay down on the yoga mat? What does it matter? And I think that, I think that's indicative of where we're headed in education is more flexibility, like just logistically, but also mental flexibility. The, I think We've all had to go back and forth so much. Um, like my wife is working from home today and that's not her normal setup. And so she tra- she kind of transfers her skills to, okay, today's a work from home day. This is how that looks for me. And then when she goes back in the office on Monday, she'll be back in office mode. And I think it's that way. A lot of teachers, you get, you get COVID, you have to go sit out for two weeks and or you've been exposed and you have to teach for two weeks, but you're teaching isolated at home and the same way for our students. So I, you know, not to get into the COVID weeds there, but I think that I think we've kind of opened a door that's not going to go away, that we've shown that we're flexible enough to be able to make that happen. Now we kind of had our hand forced. And so I think number one and is that we're going to all be more flexible either logistically or mentally, like, okay, this is the way I do these things today. And we're going to, you know, in that flexibility, we're going to have to, as you kind of stated here earlier, we're going to have to dial back a little bit. Like what we do is going to have, the things we do are going to have to fit every situation, an in-person situation, a situation where I'm a teacher and I have three classes now sitting in an auditorium and I can't just have my whiteboard up front and 30 students focusing on me. Now I have a hundred or so in a big auditorium because two teachers are out right now. And I just don't see that going away because what we're going to see are staff shortages for a long time, to be honest. I don't think that gets fixed in the next year. I don't think next year we're magically going to have the 55% of teachers that NPR said want to quit the profession the other day. I don't think they're going to magically show back up next year. And so I think that we're going to have to pair back to what are the two or three, five things, strategies, tools that we have that work the best, that work in every situation. 
And it's going to be a great thing for us because we're going to get better at what we do. We're going to, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but we're not going to be the restaurant that has a 10 page book of, of dishes that you can order. We're going to be the one that has 10 things on one sheet of paper. And those are the 10 things they make, but they are great. Every one of those dishes is, is pitch perfect. And that's what we're going to be as educators. We're going to get down to where we've pared our menu down so much because it has to work in so many situations and we're going to become experts at what we do. And because of that, our practice is going to improve. Our confidence as educator, educators is going to improve. And our students are going to be better served because they're, they're getting the best of what we have to offer instead of trying something new all the time. No, I don't know about you, but I was a uh, kind of a mad scientist once I got into grad school, which I'm sure a lot of people will relate to. You get into grad school and you hear about this thing and you're like, I'm going to try that in my classroom this week. This is awesome. I want to try this. And that's not to knock that idea, but it's overall and generally overarching. We're going to pick like five things we're really good at. And that's what we're going to do as educators. And we're going to all be better for it. So I don't have like a, you know, I know that that's a pretty blanket vision for where we're headed as, as education, but I see us being more flexible and I see us as being better at what we do because we cut it down to the things we're really good at. That's fantastic. That's, that's a better answer than I, I could have ever, I could have ever asked for. I mean, I hear, so, and not to mention you, I'm not going to get into this, but you, you spoke my language. You started talking about menus and food, but um, <laughs> you're so right about do fewer things better and, and offer a better service, a more solid service than just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what'll stick. And I think as leaders, the, the important message for leaders to take away out of what you just said, as far as education, another reason I love it is because it had a positive spin to what we've been going through. I think there's a lot of positive that can be taken out mm-hmm. from this experience that we're having. Hey, hey, look, change is painful. And this is some of the most painful change we've ever seen. And I think if we if we keep that positive mindset, if we stop yearning for yesteryear, and the way things used to be because they were comfortable and embrace it with that flexibility. Like you said, I think that's, that's where we're going to get better and where we, we want to be because we're going to, out of necessity, have to pare things down so that we don't have as much and we don't have as much of a, of a social emotional load on us or a cognitive load on us because of everything going on. And as the pandemic stuff goes away, don't add. Because then we've paired stuff back and we can really center in and focus on that for what it's supposed to be. So I think I think that's a great message for leaders to realize when they're dealing with teachers to say, hey, look, you know, forget this new initiative. Uh, stick to what we know. Or, or how about we just get better at what we do in, instead of trying to add something to make it better instead of just increasing the skill level. So that, that's a great message to leaders. Let me um, we're, we're near the end and we're, we're running out of time. But I have to ask you two questions that I ask every person that comes on this podcast. I get some, I get some, uh, some answers that just shock me. So let me ask you the first one. Who, not what, would you be if you weren't in education or, or in your case, ed tech? Because you've, you've straddled that, those two professions. So I'm going to let you all behind the curtain a little bit here. <laughs> Chris sends out a Google Doc. He is the most prepared person I've been around in podcasting so far. And he sends out a Google doc to you about a month before and says, these are the questions that I'm going to ask you at a time. I put in there and I stand by it. This question has me excited and stumped. And I put that a while ago and it still has me excited and stumped, but at least I finally have somewhat of an answer. So <laughs> just congratulations to you. Keep asking that question. It's a great one. I think I don't know. I, I don't know how everyone else has answered this necessarily, but to me, the who and not what would I be goes back into what is education given me? You know, because I, I if I weren't a teacher or an education leader, what what would I be? That means that I have to remove what education has given me. So what education has given me, it's given me such confidence and empathy. That's what I can think of. I remember like a lot of people can probably relate to this. I was just a, I was a very shy and introverted and, and I really struggled. I didn't really struggle with public speaking because it's like I could flip a switch, 
but still the thought that was a prepared thing. The thought of going in front of a classroom of 30 students and being able to man to handle to man, you know, cause I came up in the lecture days. So being able to stand and deliver for 45 minutes at a time, six, seven times a day, was so intimidating. But I remember, I'll never forget my very first class. I started talking and I went, my voice is projecting. Like I'm really projecting my voice and I'm clear. This is not how I normally talk. And I, I like got my teacher voice. I, I, I call it my teacher puberty. I went through my teacher puberty right then and I developed my teacher voice. And all of a sudden I had this teacher voice where I could say something down the hall and students would stop and look because now I'm just projecting this teacher voice. And, and that's because of the confidence that it gave me. It gave me such confidence to, to do this thing that I felt I was made to do and when you have the freedom, like, I know that I'm cut out for this. I know I'm good at this. All of a sudden, you'll develop a confidence. And it's not all of a sudden. It takes a long time to develop that much confidence. But little things will happen along the way, like getting your teacher voice all of a sudden. And, and then as each year builds on each year and you get past, you get past the beginning when you're so unsure, your first days of school with Harry Wong there, you get so you're so unsure of yourself and you're like clutching onto those ideas and then you don't need them anymore because you have such confidence. And maybe I would have gotten that confidence working in the oil field or in a, if I'd been a farmer or something, but maybe not. I know that this job prepared me for, to be more, a more confident and be more sure of myself person, know who I am better um, so education gave me that. And you can see it give our kids that you can see it give other teachers that I think education really does build confidence. Now, we all know if, if you've been on teacher Twitter, it, it tears us down to the studs sometimes, too. But it will it does rebuild. It will regenerate and regrow you. And then I think what I developed over the last seven years of being in an urban school district is empathy. I learned so much empathy. And I'm not even going to mince words. I would not have gotten that in another profession. There's no way. So just being around students who were in different situations than I ever would have been in all the little towns that I grew up in, I developed so much empathy for other people. And I'm still working like I'm not there. I have less empathy than a lot of other people out there. But I, I'm trying so hard and I want to be empathetic and I am more empathetic than I ever would have been without education. I, it just, when you are with students every day who walk in with, some of them walk in with great things, some of them walk in with bad things, and then you learn that they all have things that they're carrying with them and your colleagues are the same way. And you're just not around a mix of people like that in a lot of other professions like you are in education and that I needed that. I needed that in my life. I needed that as a person for my development to be around people and get outside myself. So I think education has turned me into a better person because, because of those things that built in me. So I guess I might not have been as good a person, you know, to, to long story short, I don't think I would have been as empathetic or confident a person without education. That has got to be one of the most unique approaches and answers to the question I've ever heard. The idea that you looked at it from the other way of, of what it's given you and so what you'd be missing if it wasn't in your life. So that, that's a fantastic answer. Glad you were excited about it. I, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> it was, it's a great question. And uh, uh, yeah, it's wonderful. The, um, the last question of the show. The idea of, you know, this is to help leaders um, improve. So what's, what's the most important piece of advice you would give to leaders as they work to better support, engage, and empower their teachers? All right. Incoming COVID cliche. So <laughs> please don't shut me out if you're listening <laughs> because there's truth to it. But we've all felt at different times isolated and powerless over the last two years. Um, and by the time you hear this, it may be seven years. Lord be with us, please. 
or or whatever. Oh gosh, yeah. let's just cut out that religious reference there, maybe. That's <laughs> but, you can say that if you want. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but whatever you believe in, be with us. Anyways, because everybody just with, said that when you said that, everybody mm-hmm. was saying it to themselves. So it doesn't matter. We've we've all been through these isolating times and these times we feel powerless because so many decisions were made without our not really without our I mean without our consent, but also just a lot of times without our knowledge. Like you, I was on spring break and all of a sudden I was told on like the Friday of spring break, come in on Monday and pack up your things and be you have to be back at a building by 11 a.m. because we're shutting everything down. And so my life from the time I left on the Friday before spring break until until a week later, my life changed radically and radically for several months going on two years now. And it makes you feel powerless because I didn't sign, you know, a lot of teachers, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up. You're right. You didn't. None of us signed up for this. And we feel very, we feel powerless. We don't feel like we got to take, I don't know. I don't feel like I was taken advantage of. I don't feel like anybody meant for this to happen. But you're powerless, and and probably the people who made the decisions felt powerless too, because we're all we're all kind of we're all in a bad situation together. We have been, and we've all felt felt powerless before this situation too. I mean, we're all used to decisions being made without us. So people feel powerless right now, and we also feel pretty isolated. Um, even if you're, you know, I'm working from home full time now. But even when you're not, when you're working in an office, a lot of times you either have a mask on or you're on Zoom meetings now instead of these big conference room meetings. And we've lost a lot of the a lot of the serendipitous conversations and, you know, the water cooler moments, the passing in the hall, the awkward. Hey, how's it going? How's it going? Okay, yeah, yeah. And even though those were nothing conversations, real empty, they weren't as empty as we thought they were because they we maintained our humanity through awkward conversation and we've lost a lot of that. So a lot of the advice I would have to leaders out there is people need to be felt. They need to feel like they're heard and that they're seen. And that doesn't, and it, and it's as simple as that. It's not, it's not that people, I don't think everybody needs to have input. Everybody needs to get their way but we all need to feel like we at least were heard and we were seen. We need to feel like we're humans again. Um, and I think that goes a tremendous way toward healing our staff and our students. If we know that we're heard and seen because it, it makes us feel connected to one another again. And if we feel connected to one another, we are, we're going to work together better. So I just, I know it's it's a super simple point. We're all caught up in so many things and the most simple thing we can do and the best thing I feel we can do is to just really hear people, listen to them, actively listen, hear what they say, provide some kind of feedback to them, let them know that you heard them, let them know that you saw this one little thing. If you can do that to people, if you can weekly, monthly, whatever's, appropriate for you say something to someone where you notice something about them i think it makes more of an impact than any than any program you can put them through than any than any directive obviously is to just feel let people feel like you know them that you see them so i think that's more important than anything we can do fantastic that's i mean that is just that is spot on the whole idea of seeing and hearing. You know, look, Andy, you've you've mentioned you have such clarity of thought of where you think education is headed and where you what you think leaders need to do to help better support, engage, and empower their teachers. You've mentioned you've mentioned tools, you've mentioned the use of them, why they empower, why they engage, and and some of the things we have to watch out for when we're deciding on those things and implementing, right? So I'm sure people are going to want to reach out and hear a little more. What's the best way to get in touch with you if if people want to just reach out and and pick your brain a little more or ask you some questions about anything you've talked about today? I got two ways that are pretty easy to reach out to me. And um, if you are a Twitter user, I'm Andy4EDU. Andy4EDU on Twitter. That's also my Gmail address. And that's the other place someone could reach out to me is Andy4EDU at Gmail. And 
Um, so I hope that makes it easy. But yeah, Andy4EDU on Gmail and Twitter are the two ways to reach out that um, I'm happy to I'm happy to talk any of this with anyone. Perfect. You know, uh, I said at the top of the show that I was excited to talk to you. I thought you had some really good stuff to offer and I couldn't be happier with, with how it went. So, you know, thanks for being on the show, Andy. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's a wonderful experience. And I, I just appreciate you for thinking of me. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Jigsaw Learning. Whether you lead at the school, district, or division level, you're serving a wide array of students, and you know that no one person has all the answers when it comes to meeting each of their needs. That's why Jigsaw Learning helps leaders and their staff and faculty to develop a collaborative approach. Every child deserves a team. And when you put together the pieces of effective collaboration, you can realize that team's full potential. Connection, relationships, and authentic collaboration are at the foundation of Jigsaw Learning's work. Through professional learning presented on-site, online, or a blend of both, Jigsaw's team of experienced learning associates works with you to develop a personalized plan to help collaborative response thrive in your organization. Learn why educators have described working with Jigsaw Learning as powerful, wonderful, and beneficial for all students. Visit jigsawlearning.ca and connect with the team for information. That's jigsawlearning.ca. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.